Hello, everyone. Welcome to Book Club Date. That's my wife, Katie. And that's my husband, Josh. This is episode two of two of our series on The Wager by David Grant. Very, very exciting. So, uh, Katie, let's get into it real quick. Just first question, you reading anything new? No. That's okay. I'm not reading anything new either. I'm still reading Mind Hunter, and I assume you're still reading the Sweet Tea Witch series. Yes. Okay. But right. not not that much this week. This week was all about the wager. It was all about the wager. All about yeah. boats and mutinies and craziness. Lots of craziness. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we're not going to cover the synopsis. Go to episode one for that if you really want it. But you just need to know some English seamen were on a ship. And it wrecked. And it wrecked. And they're on an island. Stranded. And things are not going well. Not at all. So um, let's just get right into the discussion. Okay. But prior to that. Most we importantly. Ha- we have to give our spoiler and speculation warning mm-hmm. for the entire book. Whole thing. So we have read it. And you've been warned. So There will be spoilers. Yep. And like I just mentioned before, where we left off, the wager shipwrecked, the natives helped them, the natives left, the remaining castaways are doing their best to survive, and there are signs of military order beginning to break down in a pretty substantial way, I think is a pretty fair synopsis of where things were left off. Yes, I'd agree. So... Uh, we're not going to do a play play by play this week. We're going to pose questions and then we're going to discuss them. So, honey, I've been talking for a minute. Yeah. I'm going to ask the question: What do we think about Buckley as a leader? Buckley is the gunner, so he's like a lower officer, I suppose. I'm not sure what his actual rank would be, but he's not quite like high level. But he's like a, he's like a a man of the crew, basically. Right. Uh, but he's coming, but he's... He, kind of leader of the crew. Yeah. So, like, what Yeah. What do we think? Um, I think he shows more natural leadership capabilities in this time of distress. Okay. I would agree. I would agree. He's, you know, he seemed to be the one to keep his cool a little more and right. kind of get to work. You right. Know? Right. He's also very uh, faith-oriented. Yes. So I think he has a constant, uh, it's weird to say given their circumstance, but it seems like he has a constant comfort um, yeah. that he can rely on for himself. Through his faith. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, the, here's a here's an interesting line that I highlighted. Byron Watch, this is John Byron, Byron Watch as the outpost briefly united over building the Ark. Now split into two rival forces on one side were Cheap and his small loyal cadre, and on the and on, and on the other were Buckley and his legions of partisans. So clearly the camp was just splitting. One was following, you know, like mm-hmm. like like seems like the majority was following Buckley. I, I think it was less about Buckley being a good leader and more about they were just tired of Captain Cheap. Yeah, I, I think there was a lot of feelings that he wasn't doing enough. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, and and I noticed this too, like I would have been frustrated with it as well, right? Like for the initial shipwreck, right? Like then you start, like, yeah, it sucks. And you can pout about it, but then you have to go into action and you've got to you know obviously you need to salvage what you can you need to put a focus on food but it seemed like and and I don't know if this was or was not a discussion it was not included if it was but there was not a lot of initial discussion of what do we do next right and I was I got a little frustrated actually reading because I was like what's the plan guys what are we, we, we need to start discussing what's, what's the plan? What are we going to do next? Are, where are we going to go? How are we going to get there? What are we going to do? Because obviously you're not going to survive for tremendously long on this island, right? It's not like you're going to live out the rest of your days on this island. Like some of them obviously did, but not like, it's not a paradise, right? It's very barren. Well, and, some of them did. <laughs> Not in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but you you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to stay there. It's not an area where ships are coming by frequently. It's not next to a port or something like that. So you need to get to planning to, like, what's the next step? And I feel like Cheap was, like, halfway there, right? Like, he did, uh, like, they all kind of understood, okay, we need to salvage and we need to collect our food stores. We need to explore the island, see what we can um, harvest from the island. But there really wasn't a lot of talk about, and then what? Yeah, it it, it seemed like it took a a long time. Yeah, like say, it took at least a month. I think it took more for someone. It might have been two months before they started to be like, "We should build a boat." Right. Yeah. Yeah. Before like and and or really like. Let's retrofit what we have. Let's fix the boats that we have. Right. Because I can understand initially you're just trying to get set up so that way you can survive. Mm-hmm. And also with the hope of maybe Anson will turn around or perhaps he survived and he's looking for you. Right. Right. Like, so I understand that, but yeah, there was. But also, like, there were ships that had already been lost prior on the journey in the um, Drake Passage. Right. And they didn't turn around. They didn't turn around for them. So I wouldn't expect that. Right. So even with Cheap having in mind, like, we're going to follow my orders. We're going to get to this island. We're going to meet with Anson and the rest of the contingent. Like, he's still, like, that he did not pursue steps to get to that initially. Right. And like he, it was it was a long while before anyone was like, let's let's figure out how to get these smaller boats in shape enough that we can go somewhere. Yeah. I think it was the Carpenter Cummins was his name. Who I think so, who 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 was like, you know, I could probably if we get that longboat out there. Right, out of I the could, wreckage. I could probably build us something like yeah we um, could probably extend it yeah no but anyway so they build that but you, you know and, and it's interesting because and this is where like i think like there's between a good leader and a mediocre one which i think captain cheap just wanted to be a leader he didn't actually necessarily want to help people he wanted the recognition i think but without mm-hmm. any of the hard work so well i you... think he was like halfway there yeah like he there were some things he did well but there was a lot of missed opportunities. Right. Well, you compare it to, and I know he was recovering initially, right? Because right. because right. he got hurt, so he was kind of like, I'm recovering. I literally can't do anything. And when you're recovering from an injury, and you're actually recovering, you sleep a lot because your body is dedicating all of its all of its energy to healing whatever happened to you. Right. Um. But you compare what happened, what sheep did, to, um. Uh, Anson, whenever he was a castaway for a brief moment, right, or about three weeks, completely different. Yeah, like within less than a week, they were already building a boat, and three weeks, their I think the other their thing ship came too back. Is but. Anson? Um, he he got in there. He did. You know, he led by example. He was not afraid to like put the work in to get in beside his men and start. You know, doing what had to be done. Like, yeah, you've got the that rank, but in a trauma situation, you might need to pitch in. Correct. So, and and I don't think Cheap did that as well. He kind of hovered in his tent and wanted everyone to bow to his will. Yeah. And and there was some question about his authority because they weren't on the ship anymore, and it was very unclear. It seemed to the very top levels of the government, even whether when you marooned on an island mm-hmm, and not on the ship, yeah. whose authority are you actually under? Yeah, because you could argue that the one of the marines, the commanding officer of the marines, oh yeah, he was be like, in charge at that point. At, well, and he was of his men. He did take over his leadership of his own men. He was mm-hmm. like, you know what, we're on land. I'm in charge of right. this group, at least. Right. Well, you know it. I think the whole, I like how we post questions. Buckley is a leader, but we went to cheap and Anson. <laughs> but anyway, I think, I think, I think Byron said it best here, or or at least in his writings here. Mm-hmm. Um, Byron was somewhat circumspect in his writings, but it is clear that he felt duty bound to cheap, 
and that he viewed Buckley, who seemed to relish his newfound status, as someone who was undermining the captain and fueling his deep insecurities and paranoia. Moreover, Cheap, in laying out his plan, had evoked the kind of imperial heroism and sacrifice that mythopoetic life of the sea extolled in the romances Byron so loved. And I think, and I think Byron is a good, like, at least from the writings that um, uh, Grant was able to pull from, he seems to be like the good, like, standard seaman mm-hmm. who was like in the middle of most things. And and he, yeah, and, and Byron was neutral. He was. Until a long way, and then he kind of flip-flops because he, he frankly is just like, I don't know what is right, morally right, or otherwise. So I think Byron's a good window into think, kind of this question. I think a lot of readers can probably relate to Byron because it's a situation where there's not necessarily a right answer. No, there's not. I mean, there are no right answers in this situation. It's right. just, it's awful. It Like, you are... It's, it's survival. Like. Yeah. Well, let us know what you thought of not just Buckley as a leader, but Captain David Sheep, Hanson, all of them. Mm-hmm. Let us know your thoughts on, yeah. on, on like what you think makes a good leader. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and move on to our next uh, discussion question, uh, which is, was Sheep in the right or wrong to kill cousins? So if you've, so obviously, if we're assuming you, you read the book, the circumstances around this, I think, would rattle Anyone, anybody in a position like I mean, it wasn't just like you're about to be overthrown. Sheep, I think, honestly, was in a situation where he was like, I don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes here. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be alive. Right, right. So, like, what do you think? I think Sheep was at his wits' end and slightly paranoid. He knew that he was not endeared to his men. He knew his leadership was in question, and. Because I think he valued his title of captain so much, I, I don't think he was in necessarily the right frame of mind. You know, people have different reactions to stress, and that could be, you know, any kind like situational or emotional or whatever. And he had all of it. And I, I don't think he responded well in general and I think the killing of cousins was sort of the peak of that yeah yeah he was at his wits end you know and and and, and here's the actual excerpt from uh from uh, the book uh hearing the shot uh hearing the shot and the shouting about mutiny cheap burst out of his dwelling his eyes were ablaze his pistol already in hand Squinting in the rain, he looked around for Cousins, whom he was certain had fired the bullet, and shouted, Where is that villain? There was no reply, but he spied Cousins amid the growing crowd. Sheep walked over and, with neither questions nor ceremony, placed the cool tip of the barrel against Cousins' left cheek. Then, as he would later describe it, he proceeded to extremities, which is one way to describe shooting someone in the pulling the trigger yeah yeah you know and 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 here's byron again with with his kind of neutral stance right byron thought that however wrong cousin's actions had been sheep's response was inexcusable and 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 i do think um wasn't cousins kind of the most vocal uh critic of cheap yeah yeah so like they weren't on best of terms anyway. They were not on good terms. Uh, I think they had already been. I think I think cousins had already kind of pushed the line a bit to to the point where like cheap was ready to have have a trial, right? Mm-hmm. Like have a tribunal or whatever, whatever their version of um, taking him to trial was. And he had stayed strong in wanting to keep things like by the law, by the maritime law that they followed. And he just, he went over the edge. And he was also, like, I think Cheap, and who knows what Cheap was being told as well, but I think Cheap had convinced himself that Cousins was trying to overthrow his authority and whatnot. And maybe yes, maybe no. But... Mm -hmm. Either way, it was not, I don't think it was right of him to go to that extreme. Like, there's no going back from that. Yeah, it's like the final. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah, I think. And Cousins didn't, 
I, I do think it's important. Important. Important to. I think it's important. I think it's important <laughs> to note that Cousins did not uh, pass away right away. He lingered for two weeks. Yes. It's about the surgery. Yeah. Two surgeries mm-hmm. because there was the bullet was lodged in his jaw, I think, or in his cheek or something. Part of his jaw was broken. The bullet was lodged in his cheek. And then, like, a sliver had come off as well. And it wasn't even the main surgeon. The main surgeon didn't show up for the surgery. So it was the assistant who actually performed the surgery on the fly. Right. So it's like an uphill battle for cousins. Oh, yeah. But to linger for for two weeks. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's... It's... A headshot doesn't mean immediate death necessarily. Right. Right. Like it can it can mean a very slow demise, kind of similar to like a like a gut wound or something, you know. Mm. But anyway, what do you think? Cheap right? Was he wrong? Was cousins right or wrong? Pretty high stress situation. Was everyone uh, right? Was wrong? was everybody wrong? <laughs> what do you think? So we're gonna move on to the next one here. Um whose plan would you have been in favor of? Once they had the arc, or and they knew the arc was a possibility, would you have been in favor of Captain Cheeps or Buckley's? Mm. Cheap wanted to go to that Spanish settlement about 350 miles north. Right. He wanted to basically steal a Spanish ship mm-hmm. and then re then re meet up with Anson. Yeah. Easy. All you gotta do is go 350 <laughs> miles and just steal a ship. Right. Uh, but Buckley's wasn't easy either. He wanted to take the arc and go through Drake's Passage. He wanted to go through the Strait of Magellan. The Strait of Magellan. I apologize. He went, yeah. Yes. So that was between. So uh, Drake's Passage is around the southern tip okay. of South America, and then the Strait of Magellan is between Tierra del Fuego, um, so no, a little bit north of okay. there. It's a passage a little bit north of there. Either way, uh, Buckley's was a twenty-five hundred mile long. Journey like twenty five hundred miles to longer three thousand, yeah. Than it, it was a long shapes. journey. Yeah, so it, it was not easy. Um, what would you have been like? Like if you were I in that situation, no which idea. one would you vote for? I have no idea, because obviously, Cheap's clan involved a shorter distance, but there's no guarantee that Anson hasn't already been there and left. Because, like I said, it took them quite a while before anyone was like, oh, you know, we could salvage that boat, extend it, and make it a little bit bigger. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I would have been for Cheap's plan just because I would have been like, I don't know, you know, that Anson would still come. I, I would have been like, okay, but what do we do if Anson's not there? We're in enemy territory. Right. And Anson could be like 2,000 miles into the Pacific by the time you get that He ship. could be 2,000 miles into the Pacific. He could be dead. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a very- They don't know what happened to his ship at that point. So point. I guess I would be more inclined with Bulkley's plan just because- you're going to head into more friendly territory eventually right. eventually but right well i mean you know i would be in favor of cheap's plan if it if they would have been like again i it depends on I the don't... timing though right like i i can't recall if anson's note or orders said anything about like a time frame if it had been like meet up by this point on or you know like obviously it said meet up on this island mm-hmm. but i don't know if it had said like by this certain time right i thought it did i thought it had been like four months yeah i thought it was like we'll meet here like we'll rendezvous here and i if it wasn't highlighted in the book about how long they would wait i imagine and that correspondence. I would hope. Because be. they were clearly, like, there were, there was enough evidence in the within the book that we could tell that they were keeping track of time. Mm-hmm. Like, there were several times they were like, oh, and it's Sunday. Oh, and we realized it's Christmas. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think it would depend on the timing as to 
which one I would be more inclined to go with. I almost I I didn't really look at the map. Did you between like Wager Island and say uh, the Andes? Mm-hmm. Is it feasible for? Would it have been feasible for them to go from Wager Island to the mainland? Try for that, and then you have possibly, and then you have nothing but just land to walk up north. Possibly, you know. But there's a lot of unknowns. The Andes are huge mountains. There, it's a big mountain range. Yeah. Yeah. It's called the end of the world. And lots of snow. So I don't know. Yeah. We know that when she does go, when they do make their way up, they have to leave those four Marines. And I think that is on the mainland. And Well, that's on an island, I think, a little bit further north. Is it an, is it an island or the mainland? I thought it was. But I know when they came back, it was a cove. It was in a cove. Yeah. But I know when they came back, the soldiers, the Marines were gone. Yes. And I was like, well, of course they were gone. Like, why would they stay? They're not going to survive just sitting on the beach. So obviously yeah. they're going to make their own way then. Now we never hear back from them, but we don't know. Yeah. Do you think, because they had to make a, a decision, right, about the, 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 you know, the quote here is that four members of the party would have to remain behind. This is on Sheep's kind of escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they would all perish. Four Marines were selected. Being soldiers, they lacked sailing skills. The Marines were were fixed on as not being of any service on board. Okay, sure. Uh, Campbell confessed, noting this. This was a melancholy thing, but necessity compelled us. He recorded each of the Marines' last names, Smith, Hobbs, Hertford, and Crosslet. And I think there's islands in that area named after them now. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, like you just mentioned, whenever they returned, because they couldn't get around that kind of cliffside. Right. Um, except for a musket lying on the beach, there was no trace of them. They had undoubtedly perished, but where were their bodies? The castaways sought some way to commemorate the four men. This bay we named Marine Bay, Byron wrote. So do you, do you think that sheep should have attempted to squeeze those Marines in, like even if they weren't useful in that moment, that particular time, or does survival at any cost take precedent? think he should have tried to squeeze them in i agree especially when you've got people dying like flies yes i mean surely having some that's better than nothing and and some of their the sailing skills like i'm sure they could have learned well i'm sure i mean they spent basically like five or six months on a ship at least right not even counting their past experience surely they knew isn't it helpful to have an extra pair of hands when you need one? Right. So, okay, so their their journey up did actually go between a bunch of islands and the mainland oh. of Chile. So I, it, this doesn't identify the map in the book, um, doesn't identify the marine bay. Yeah. Or which islands are named after these guys. But it, they did go up through. Oh, because they were trying to go around the Cape and they went over and then up. I don't know. Yeah. But it looks like they did end up going up between I see the islands and the mainland. Well, let us know if you guys think that they should have squeezed the Marines and Cheap should have made more of an attempt. Um, and also let us know whose plan you would be in favor of. Yeah. Interesting to know. Uh, kind of rounding back to Cheap, because, again, he's the captain, uh, so we have to talk about him. <laughs> uh, there were moments where Cheap really did kind of have some some Banff moments, right? Yeah. Where, where he kind of really stood his ground, and here's, and here's at least two, right? Sheep did something even more startling to assert his authority. He emerged from his bunker without his weapon and faced the raging mob. Here, the captain showed all the conduct and courage imaginable, Buckley admitted. He was a single man against the multitude of all of them, against the multitude, all of them dissatisfied with him and all of them in arms. And in that moment, not one person, not Buckley, not Pemberton, not even the violent boatswain King, dared lay a finger on their captain. And then another quote here, Buckley couldn't help 
conveying in his written account a certain admiration for his adversary. Your cheap was defeated, bound, humiliated, and yet he remained composed, steady, and courageous. He had finally, like a true captain, mastered himself. So there's like moments where like cheap really misses the mark, but it seems like when it comes to defending his pride, he will he will stand up for that. Yeah. No matter what, which is which is both a good thing and 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 a bad thing in terms of like being a leader, right? Because no, because yeah. no one's going to follow someone who's not proud of themselves, um, right? And doesn't have that um, kind of. But you kind of wish he would energy. he would show the same constitution when it came to taking care of his men, right? You know, so. Um, well, I think perhaps perhaps um, you know there might be some question about cheap's authority because he was he was basically promoted on the fly after they lost a couple other captains in the whole in Anson's whole party so it's not like it was it's not like he started this journey as a captain he got promoted as they were sailing so yeah but that's like a battlefield type promotion anyway so like it's it's Again, this is me thinking of a more modern understanding of it, but in 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 our modern military, at least like a, a chain of command is absolute. Mm-hmm. So if you're promoted, that's that. That's the leader. Yeah. Period. And I think the men had an easier time accepting him as the leader while they were on the ship. Yeah, yeah, because it's yeah, like 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 mutiny really was. But some of them blamed him, you know. And at this point, I think. I think the there was already a group that had separated from the main camp as well. Yeah, yeah, they kind of uh, they didn't they didn't record any of their adventure on the other side of the island. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, they only they recruited one to build the ark to help come the and build friend. build the ark. Yeah, right. And then they um, and he died later. Yeah, and then after Buckley left. Uh, Chief did basically amend things with them, right? Because he needed bodies and like to help make their like half of them came with Chief, but some of them stayed. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Sounds awful. So, I mean, and, and you know, talking about things no, that... Either way, I don't think staying was necessarily the best choice. Yeah, but, uh, you know, talking about things that are awful, uh, cannibalism, ever allowable. What do you think? Man. Again, there's there's no good answers there's to this no book to the situation. Here. But you know, uh, yeah, yeah. You can also pass on it too. I, so. Yeah. Tell you what, we will just read. We will just read John Byron's comment on it. Um, though most of the men knew not to even mention cannibalism in their written records, Byron acknowledged that some began to butcher and eat their dead companions. What Byron referred to as the quote last extremity and some of these guys like i'm sure were not even fully aware of what they were doing like it's it kind of like kind of described like the one boy kind of being like in a daze when he did you mean like whenever he was cannibalizing someone yeah yeah um but it was um by the way you two don't hand us with the word cannibalism this is a this is a edu- th- this is a discussion. YouTube's gonna be like, cannibalism. Oh, no. Hold up, kill now. that video. <laughs> um, maybe we should stop saying. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Okay. Um, it it was always dead companions. They didn't kill anyone for food. Right. But do keep in mind that there are, they do um, for with several non-traditionally livestock animals. One of which I read right before bed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The dog. The dog. I should have known. I should have known. Oh, I, I saw that coming. This is going to happen. No, I my happy little oblivious mind was like, oh, he found a friend. The dog's going to help him hunt or something. The, the dog probably would have. Probably, because he was one of the natives. He was one of the Kawaskar dogs. Right. So he probably would have. Yeah, that was that was a hard one to read, that whole scene. 
Yeah. Or they take his dog. That was, oh. Yeah, it was rough. So, you know, um, that so was rough. I've been warned because I. Yeah. So, you, so My little mind did not go there. Yeah. So how about this? How about you guys just let us know your thoughts on eating unalived companions? Or don't. Or don't. You know, that's cool, too. Um, we don't need to go there. So, you know, we already mentioned that sheep should have tried to squeeze the Marines in, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think Buckley uh, and the crew should have made more attempts to rescue the castaways after the Rudderbrook, right? Because they sent, like, six men or so yeah. um, on the shore to look for food and just resources, right? Yeah. Uh, but, like, their rudder broke, so they couldn't get close enough. And I guess, like, when we say boat, like, they're long, like, the long boat is, like, if you saw it in front of you, you'd be like, that's that's a big boat, right? <laughs> so, like, they, I don't think they could necessarily get close. And with the rudder broken, they couldn't steer. So they couldn't get back to, like, the mainland. And I guess they drifted far enough out to where swimming wouldn't be possible. I thought I thought that was a little unclear. Yeah, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but but what but what we do know is that um, Buckley and the crew they placed some guns and ammunition as well as a letter explaining their decision in a barrel and then tossed it overboard, letting the waves wash it ashore. They waited until Duck, Morris, and six others had received it, so it was eight. Mm-hmm. When the men read the letter, they fell to, they fell to their knees and watched as the Speedwell sailed away. So their decision, of course, being that. We're leaving you guys behind. We can't navigate over to you. I guess with their sails, they could still push forward, but they couldn't turn necessarily. Again, I I, I, I am not uh, a, a seafarer, so I am Nor not. Am I. I am not one hundred percent sure, but these guys could. I mean, you could have at least given them an attempt to swim back. Yes. Yes. They didn't even let them try. They were just like, mm, "Sorry, yeah." yeah. But the. Uh, the most shocking thing is three months after the court-martial at the end of all this, mm-hmm. right, that three of those crew members, um, including Isaac Morsh, they arrived yeah, back in back Portsmouth. In, yeah. uh, and for them, it had been more than four years since these men had swum ashore in Patagonia with a small party from the Speedwell to gather provisions. Four years from when they were cast away a second time. Mm-hmm. Which is nuts to think about. Yeah, and I thought the 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 saddest part because they they oh, allude to it was, was duck saddest. Day. Yeah, do you do you want to tell us about this part? Um, so duck was the the freed black man, and they said that duck's fate was unknown, as is the case for so many people whose stories can never be told. I believe he will end his days in bondage, Morris wrote, there being no prospect of his ever returning to England. And I think later it does say uh, the one guy, um, I think it was Midshipman Morris, who did say, confirm that Duck was taken into slavery again. Yeah. And that was heartbreaking. And Morris was buddies with him, too, and he was absolutely... He didn't even know where to find him. He was, like it said, he didn't know whether he had been taken to the fields, whether he had been thrown on another ship, like where he had been. But I got the impression that he would have tried to find him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Duck could have ended his days anywhere in the Americas. I think the only... At that point. The only probable thing that you could assume would be that he ended his days in bondage, as Morris said. Yeah. So very, very, very sad ending. Um, possibly, depending on uh, Buckley's decision, could have could have avoided that. Uh, so. Yeah. It's that one was sad. Um, but moving forward to the trial, was it right for Buckley to publish his account after returning to England, or should he have waited for the trial, like Captain Cheap? So Buckley wrote his account of what happened because he was one of, I think, the few men who wrote, who basically kept a journal slash logbook of everything that happened. Yeah. Um, he, he made it a point to do that. I mean, I think the main guys you follow in the book are the ones that kept a log. Right. Or journal of the events. Right. Yeah. Right. And the, the excerpt here is um, the account was something striking in English letters. Though hardly a work of literature, the journal was packed with more narrative and personal detail than a traditional logbook, and the story was told in a bracing new voice. 
that of a hard-nosed seaman. In contrast to the often flowery and convoluted prose of the time, it was written in a crisp style that reflected Buckley's personality and was, in many ways, distinctly modern. The, gun the gunner declared that the journal had a plain maritime style. Uh, mm -hmm. And then when Sheep returned, uh, here is Sheep burned to tell his own version, but he wouldn't play John Buckley's game and publish a book. Instead, he would save his testimony and fury for a foreman for, for a forum more determinative, a court-martial composed of a panel of judges, all of them commanding officers like him. So, I mean, I, you know, I mean, Buckley was a was serving in the Navy and all that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean. What? Well, he arrived significantly, like two years before Cheap and Byron, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah so it was it was quite a while ahead of time. And he was trying to sway public opinion. Yeah. Yeah, because, well, because he also knew, you know, like from Chief's perspective, like he, you know, like, you know, like this, this implication here, all of them, a panel of judges, all of them, commanding officers like him. So Chief was pretty confident that he could, as captain and kind of just how um, the command chain was, that he would be, um, that the, that the trial would be more in his favor from the start. Right. Buckley, I think, had a suspicion that that if he did nothing, he was damned. If he did this, if he published, right, yeah. there may be a chance that he could, could survive. That he could survive and get out of this. Yeah. Or at least not be reprimanded as hard. Right. Right. Because now, because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's in America, we have free, freedom, freedom of speech and all that, and et cetera, et cetera. But here's the thing like every country, every government and all that has to deal with public opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think Buckley, on an, on an instinctual level, probably knew that. Yeah. Right? And like you said, he was trying to sway public opinion. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, and I think, it, I think it also said, too, that Buckley and the other guys were basically destitute at this point. They, you know, they didn't come back with a successful, you know, journey. They didn't come back on a ship filled with treasures. Like Anson. Right, but Anson's, Anson didn't even get there until after, way after Cheap, after the trial even, I thought. I'm not sure. I can't recall. Maybe not quite after the trial, but he, he didn't cut, get back for a while. Yeah, I mean, it was... Anson got back before the marooned guys from Buckley's um, half of the journey. Like, he got back before them. So I think I think the order was Buckley's group, Captain Sheep's group, Anson, and then the Maroon guys from Buckley's group in order of returning to England. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think part of it was, of of um, Buckley publishing his account, was to get finances as yeah. a way to get money because they weren't allowed to really take on any jobs. There was, like, one job that Buckley asked permission to take and they let him but it was like up the river it wasn't an abroad type of gig yeah i mean they were clearly they were there was concern and probably rightfully so about someone fleeing mm -hmm. right which i mean yeah. i mean i get that it's just unfortunate that there wasn't any support system or any way to kind of Right. Make money. It's not like Buckley could pick up a job at McDonald's or something. Right. You know? Now, I did think it was kind of funny that, like, they all kind of started publishing their own accounts and stuff. Yeah. and Like, it, it, it would have been a crazy time to be in England getting, like, all these little... Um, it was basically a modern Facebook. Just, like, everyone's different versions. Basically. Like just, a, like, and then... A and, paper war. And everyone's going, fake news. Fake news. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, it's the only one who didn't right away was Byron. He waited until he was older. He waited until after Captain Sheep passed. He did. Yeah. He did. And then he kind of like, I, I think hindsight too, he was able, and after rising through the ranks himself, I think he was more clearly able to see like, yeah, Sheep made some poor decisions. Yeah. They even stated that he didn't, uh, really talk about it throughout the rest of his career until he published. Mm -hmm. And that was after he had retired mm -hmm. and after Cheap had passed. Correct. Now, I did think it was interesting that 
uh, the one account was the was it a reverend or a priest on Anson's boat? And then it turned out to be like partly Anson's account as well. I I think it was Anson's account. But they but they But Anson doesn't like writing. It. Yeah, so it was like it was almost like it was ghost written, but not. It was like It'd be like if a celebrity wrote a biography on themselves but told their pastor to put their name on it as the author instead of their own. Right. So it's like an autobiography, but like using someone else as like your pen name, but using someone who actually exists. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought it was kind of funny. It's like you're the ghostwriter, but you didn't write anything. But it's about you. You're right. It's it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, because sometimes like people like write those biographies, but it's ghostwritten, right? So someone who actually is a writer will take their stories and write it. Right. So it was like that, except Anson didn't want it to be known. He didn't want to be labeled as the author. So they he said it was the other guy. So he wanted it to appear impartial. I guess. Was I think his was his goal, maybe. Maybe. But it definitely made him out to be the hero. Not that he wasn't, but... Yeah, I mean, because talking about kind of what he did here, you know, mm-hmm. one uh, one of the questions that we have here is, was was the reward worth the sacrifice that Anson uh, gathered? Um, the excerpt here is Anson, you know, his forces had withered from some 2,000 to a mere 227, and many of them were just boys. He had only a third of the complement required to properly operate a man of war of the centurion size, which was his ship. Mm-hmm. Um, after they took that Spanish galleon, uh, a share of the prize money was given to each seaman, about 300 pounds, some 20 years worth of wages. So these guys could retire basically immediately here, or, or they yeah. could start up their own little business or whatever they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anson, who was soon promoted to rear admiral, was awarded about 90,000 pounds, the equivalent today of $20 million. So, wild. Anson's perspective, getting twenty million, he probably would say yes, that it was worth the sacrifice. I, yeah, I, and I think he also saw it as for the glory of the nation. Yeah, but there's even, you know, like. But that's such a huge loss of life. Yeah, I mean, like a huge loss of life, and also like the criticism too. I think I think someone said that this is, this is, uh, this amount pales in comparison to what has been spent on this war. Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't even come close. Right. So. Well, and that's like, you know, not to mention the loss of the ships. Like, I don't know how expensive those ships were to build. But, like, that's that's huge. That's got to be a huge amount to build and maintain all these ships, all the supplies, all the men. Like, do we know if the families received any money from their deceased relatives that's a really good question and that's not mentioned anywhere it is not so if you know please let us know in the comments because i'm curious yeah that's that's something um let's see here the next our next discussion is kind of coming back around to uh the trial Mm -hmm. um the trial basically uh it either cleared everyone's name or let them off with, I would say, a light reprimand. I think there's only one person who got like a reprimand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the trial, Why? the trial did not focus on mutiny or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The trial only focused on the was cheap responsible for the ship wreck, right? Like for the ship being run aground on mm. the rocks. And Cheap is the only one who mentioned someone else, and that individual got a slap on the wrist. And that was it. Like, there there was no... And it's, it is interesting that even after all that they had been through, and the men were kind of like, 
what's happening because they fully expected to be accused of mutiny and worst case scenario be hanged like that's what they were expecting that's why they were all pushing to publish their own accounts right right and then like no one asked about that at the trial no one touched it it was just about who's responsible for the shipwreck yeah and you know and even after all that even after everything they had been through none of them were like yeah it was cheap none of them they were like no yeah not responsible yeah buckley even said i can lay nothing to the charge of any officer yeah even after like essentially just really like just destroying cheap's reputation in his book and he was just like nope yeah, it was basically like, okay, John, now that you're on the record. Yeah. Was Cheap a bad captain? Yeah. And Buckley kind of read the room. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he was fine. Yeah. And then and then it just kind of- They were all it. kind of like, you know, under the circumstances. No. <laughs> like- Yeah. So, it, yeah. Like, and that kind of was it. Like- they really didn't go into anything. And I did think it was interesting, like, like how are you going to handle it, right? Are, yeah. You have to be able to clearly say this was a clear mutiny while they were on land. And and I thought it was interesting that one it mentioned that according to the law at the time, because it, that it was confusing, right? So there was one idea that because they were on land they were not getting paid anymore mm-hmm. for being in service and therefore the rules of the ship of being like on the ship did not apply at that time therefore they could not run a court martial on that and then there was this other rule or law that they had to be paid as long as they were able to gather supplies from the ship and which was the whole time which was the whole time except i mean even even when they were on the little boats sailing they still had supplies from the ship so that might be a gray area but it almost seemed like if we let them off the hook for this like then then were they paid like i don't know i don't know if they were paid for that whole time where they were basically marooned on this island because they were still getting supplies from the ship from the shipwreck Uh or did they kind of like let that wash and be like oh well but you weren't on the ship so we didn't have to pay you which is what these guys assumed what the yeah and that's so i'm just saying there's this was not this was not answered so if you know maybe let us know but i i don't know if while these guys were stranded on the island whether in the end it was determined that because they were getting supplies from the ship they still needed to be paid or because they were on land they were not paid so regardless of the the laws and the inkiness there i don't know whether they were paid or not for that time i'm not sure they were because it was basically it seemed like they were kind of like like you can either like, we're not going to deal with the whole mutiny thing, but we're also not, not going to pay you for that time. Yeah. You, you know, and, and after the whole trial, the, the actually, But what good would getting paid be if you were killed then? Like, right. if you were hanged, like... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And the exit here is, after the trial, there were no further proceedings, no adjudication of whether Cheap had been guilty of murder or whether Buckley and his followers had mutinied and attempted to kill their commander. There was not even a hearing on whether any of the men had been guilty of desertion or quarreling with a superior officer. The British authorities, it seemed... Oh, no, the screen went black. Ah, (laughs) sorry. The British authorities, it seemed, didn't want either side's story to prevail. Uh, And and David Gran basically sums up what he believes the reason to be for, for for their... wanting to not side on either story mm-hmm. uh, to just kind of let this thing go underneath the rug was, uh, quote, a mutiny, especially in times of war, can be so threatening to the established order that it is not even officially 
recognized as one. So I think that's what it all comes down to. They were like, this wasn't a mutiny if we don't recognize it was a mutiny. Nothing, there's nothing to look at here if we, if we, if we just move on from this. Yeah. You know, and, and fortunately Buckley read the room because, because he could have absolutely kept pushing Mm -hmm. and they would have probably had to been like, okay, let's do, let's do the trial. Right. Well, and it seems like some of the fascination with this whole event, because the trial was like, what, two years or so after Buckley got back? Yeah. Like, Long it was, time. It was quite a while. So it seemed like some of the um, fascination with this whole event had started to die down as far as like the public was concerned. And so I don't think the officials wanted to extend it at all. I think they were like, let's move on. Like, let's let's put this to rest. Let's move on. It's not going to do anyone any good to really delve into this anymore. Yeah. Well, but also, I think, I think part of you has to think, like, these guys have been through some crazy stuff. Like, you know, yeah. do we want to put everyone through a long extended trial? On top of what they've already been through. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I don't, maybe, perhaps, a level of it was like, uh, these guys have already been through hell and back. Yeah. Let's just, if, if they're, <laughs> they've done their time. <laughs> if they're willing to play along, let's just move on from this and let them move on with their lives. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and there may have been a level to that. It may have been more like, uh, what's their incentive for wanting to play along? Mm-hmm. And that was probably chief among them. Yeah. No, I did find it interesting that it talked about later how Anson, the, you know, initial guy in charge of this whole, like, little grouping of ships, ended up getting promoted and such that he actually ended up basically reforming how... The rules. The rules yeah. and kind of how these things were structured. Um and the expectations and stuff and they did there there were quite a few reforms that he kind of spearheaded to modernize how things happened and kind of clear up like if this were to happen here's what you know here's how we handled this and they did restructure to have a contingent of marines that was like naval marines like they were you know, they kind of, they were supposed to be on ships and capable of functioning on a ship and not just be like... Passengers. Yeah, yeah. Who could be, you know, abandoned on shore because they have no have no function. No, they don't know how to row a boat. Okay. <laughs> I would have been like, I will learn. I will learn how to row a boat. I can learn. I'm a fast learner. Yeah. I can do it. Yeah. Well, you know what? Viewer, you let us know. What you thought about the trial? Mm-hmm. What do you think the government was trying to do? Do you think the trial should have been more, should have actually have gotten to the center of everything and try and resolve this? Do you think it was best for everyone that it was just more or less swept underneath the rug? You let us know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's like a lot of ways you can go with it and a lot of them that aren't wrong. I agree. So, you know, the wager... Katie, if you want to give us a little log line, what what are your thoughts on the wager? Because I think this was not your style of reading whatsoever. <laughs> this was I'm not curious. This was not not at all. Um, I I think I said it in the first one. It felt to me like reading a like the script of of a documentary, and it did throughout the entire time. Um, there were you know there were lots of excerpts. I got a little bored in the middle where they're on the island and things are still like deteriorating relationships are deteriorating mutiny is gradually being decided on right like it was not it was not long um or it was not a short process it was not a sudden decision that they made um so for me i was kind of like but what are we going to do but but what are you going to do? What Where are you going to go? You're not going to stay there. What are you going to do? Someone please start talking about this. <laughs> so I did get a little bored with that part as well. Um, 
and it was a little trickier for me to get through I mentioned as well you know there there is a lot of jargon and I think Josh did act Josh did have me watch the first like what 20 minutes of that movie Master and Commander of that one and that does give a good visual I think of like what's going on and you can kind of see when they're like okay, we're going to battle, and that gives you a visual of what happens with that. And, you know, from them, like, throwing sand on the ground to add some traction and whatnot. Um, it did It did give a good idea of, did you... of a visual of what happened, but I would not read it again. Okay, that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. Did you feel like you got something out of it? A history lesson... Okay. It was also very like there's it's it's difficult for me to read about like such a horrendous experience. Yeah, I I so I don't read books like this all the time. I'm not like a huge huge history book, but I do enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I enjoy history tales like this that have been told in 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 what I call fast history where it's kind of compelling and it's and and mm-hmm. and, and a historian has compiled everything and well he had a lot of um the reason, primary sources yeah and, and which I think and, helps yeah and and the reason why I enjoy books like this is because there is always a point where it feels mythic mm-hmm. like this couldn't possibly have happened and then it does and like and it has kind of like reading Splendid in the Vile about Winston Churchill. There's certain things in that where you're just like, there's no way. But you're like, yeah, I mean, World War II was a thing. Like, yeah. and it just it just feels like it's almost its own other world yeah. because of the distance of time between us and that moment in history mm-hmm. and just the insurmountable odds that if someone told you this story on the street, you you would you, you would you wouldn't believe it you wouldn't believe it you know they were lying yeah so it's just like nah that's just a tall tale man yeah and that's and that's what I like about you know like historical books like this that mm-hmm. that 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 kind of tell tell it in a more in, entertaining fast paced way uh, just I found it very enjoyable I understand it's not everyone's cup of tea mm-hmm. but I think if you enjoy history and you're okay with tragedy. Yeah, I and I think that is like you would you would enjoy this one. Yeah, and and if you're okay with the dog dying, yes, that one was tough. That one was. It was it was right before bed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that was the wager. Yeah. Throw your thoughts in the comment, Katie. Yes. Moving on to the wrap up and revealing our next book. Yes. So, take it away. This is Katie's choice. Oh. <laughs> Um, so I was debating between a couple, and so we put them in front of our beagle and went with the one that he chose, which was the one he spent the most time sniffing. But I think it'll be good because next month is February, and so we're going in a completely different direction with Aero. That's fine. Now, I don't know the heat level of this one, just so you've been forewarned. Everyone's been warned. I don't know. But it is Once More with Feeling. By Alyssa Sussman. Sounds sus. That's what the kids say, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. That guy on the podcast is trying to be cool. And this one is about 400 pages. So, I don't know. We'll probably read, what, half of it? We can also edit it, too. Um but we want to keep it manageable, so. Do you want to do like the first hundred pages? It's like four hundred pages. Four hundred pages. Yeah. So yeah, I would say the first hundred or so. I would say read up. Read up and read read through chapter ten. Because that clearly gets us to this. Yeah. Kind of breaking point. Okay, so you can start from. You can just start from there. We're reading up to chapter ten. So it's about 400 pages, and we are going to read through chapter 10. So read chapter 10. 
So read up to and through up chapter to and 10. through chapter ten. So this one will be broken into four parts. Four parts, yeah. Four parts, because we try to do about a hundred to one hundred and fifty pages per episode. And we try to keep it manageable and find good breaking points, because we know sometimes people are just trying to just improve their reading habits. And at times, the reason why we do this, because we like ta- talking about books, and we find talking about books encourages us to finish books. So maybe it'll encourage you to finish books. So again, last time I'll say it, uh, Once More with Feeling is the next book. We will read from chapter one up to and through chapter 10, which seems to be a good breaking point from what we were able to gather. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can follow us on podcasts anywhere. On YouTube. You can follow us on YouTube. Like, subscribe, leave. We're working on the other social medias. Yeah. Anything helps. We appreciate your time. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And if you have any other book suggestions, let us know those as well. Yep. But until next time, that's my wife, Katie. And that's my husband, Josh. And this has been Book Club Date. Bye.